Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. We have a great one here today for you guys. We have... Our very special returning guest, Mr. Don Higgins. Now, if you haven't heard of Don, um, you know, he's been around a while. He's been killing a lot of huge bucks. He's the owner of a few different companies, been around and obsessed with whitetails his entire life, and has just killed his third 200-inch buck named Mel. We have him on the podcast. We're going to tell that story. We also had him back on Habitat Podcast 49, where we talk about his other two bucks over uh, 400 inches total, a bunch of food plot stuff, trail camera strategy, etc. This one is more of a, what would Don do in November? So we're going to pick Don's brain on his rut report and how Don hunts the Midwest in November. We're going to break it into three sections, early November, mid-November, and late November. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll have him on here in just a minute. I'd like to uh, let everybody know we're booking our land plan services into 2021 already. Um, we are into, I believe, February, late February, early March. So we have a digital and in-person plans that we're offering for 2021. I know we're working with some people all across the Midwest from New York, Ohio, uh, Nebraska, even into Kentucky. Um, there's been a bunch of inquiries about it. Thank you so much for reaching out. If you would like to learn more on those consulting services, we offer them at HabitatPodcast.com 
slash land plans. So head on over to habitatpodcast.com and check us out there with the land plan services. If you're new to the podcast, you can also find everything else we do from habitatpodcast.com there on the website. Podcast episodes, 102 other episodes available up there. Ready to listen right now. We have uh, some cool hats, decals, brand new Habitat Manager t-shirts up there. They have uh, the, the word Habitat Manager, two words on the front, and then on the back is a really cool Habitat Podcast American flag-themed uh, logo. So check that out. Black t-shirt, white graphics, pretty sweet, up there on HabitatPodcast.com. I want to thank all of our listeners who give us a bunch of great reviews on the Habitat Podcast, iTunes, Spotify, um, David H. just left us a great one on Google, uh, so I'm getting decals out. If you guys left us a review, I'll send you a free decal. If you haven't heard from me, reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, submit your email on the website, because sometimes when you leave these reviews, there's not an actual name. It uses usernames and, and nicknames and doesn't give me a real name to look up, so I've had guys reaching out to me, and uh, then I can get your address and send you that free decal. So thanks so much for doing that, guys. Uh, I want to thank our partners of the podcast. We have Packer Max Cult of Packers, Killer Food Plots, Realtree United Country Lamb Pro, Sound Barrier Hunting, Morse Nursery, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, and Huntwise. Guys, in the show notes below... This episode that you're listening to right now, you will see all of the available discounts that we offer you uh, from our partners. So this helps us, you know, get noticed to our partners that we're helping refer some people over their way. And also, you know, they're great products. We wouldn't be signing up with anybody if we didn't believe in their product or service. So the information is below. It should get you some great discounts, free money on some of these products that our partners offer. I want to talk about uh, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit today. Ben Consitis, who we've had on here before, knocked down a great Michigan buck uh, just two days ago. So we're going to have that getting to MichiganWhitetailPursuit.com along with every other video from this year. You know, my doe hunt's already up there. If you guys want to see my doe I shot October 1st. Uh, There's another episode 12 up there right now from season 10. We also just have... It's real Michigan hunting. It happens this year, and it's online for you guys to watch and follow along. So if you're excited and want to see some real Michigan hunting, um, a bunch of great hunts up there at michiganwhitetailpursuit.com. Also check them out on the Facebook group. There's like 15,000 members already, uh, so a ton of different content every day at the Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. Next, I want to thank HuntWise for their partnership with the podcast. I use my HuntWise app a lot. I do it when I am using, or I'm sorry, I use it when I'm doing the land plan services. When I'm on people's property, I have it follow me along through the woods, and I make markers that I can refer back to. But more importantly, rifle season opens Sunday. I'm going to have that thing rocking the entire time I'm hunting because I travel a lot around the state land up there. Got to make sure I'm not stepping on private, and it's good to get real back and real deep into these big lots, and that's what I use hunt-wise. Also, I ordered a brand-new backpack um, from Trophy Line to carry all my saddle stuff, and because I'm a subscriber to the HuntWise app, I got 20% off of a $140 backpack just because I have the app. HuntWise has all kinds of discounts on there that you can use that you're 
allowed to use because you use the HuntWise app. Check them out, guys. HuntWise in any app store or HuntWise.com. All right. I want to get right into it. Don Higgins, 200-inch buck number three, and how Don Higgins hunts November. Returning once again. How you doing, Don? How you doing, Brian? I'm great. How you guys? Doing well, Don. Doing well, Jared. Doing well here too, guys. It is officially uh, November. Um, somebody in this conversation is having a better season than the other two guys. Hint, hint. <laughs> well, I, I want to maybe from a deer right? standpoint. I don't know about a health standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're uh, you're recovering, right? I'm recovering from COVID. I've had it about ten days now, and um, I've been a lot sicker, but it just can't seem to shake it. It just I feel weak and exhausted all the time, and no energy, so it kind of makes it tough to to hunt hard. Yeah, I I can't imagine. I I know a half dozen people who have had it, and it seems to be. Uh, Seems to be it wipes you out pretty good, and it's it's no joke. Yeah, um, like I said, I've been sicker, but it, it just zaps your energy. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully you're on the mend, and uh, I don't know. It didn't seem to stop you the other day from slaying another nice one. <laughs> well, I was feeling pretty good that day, and uh, got up. I decided to start my uh, morning hunts on the 30th of October just because of the weather and, and the weather forecast, you know, it's supposed to turn hot here in uh, the next couple of weeks and had a couple of cool mornings. I thought I'd take advantage of it and boy, it didn't take long to pay off first morning in the stand and it happened. Oh man. It's, we're going to get into that here in, in just a minute for those who don't know. I'm sure uh, many do. Brian, you, uh, You've been out and about. You started your vacation. You're hunting hard as well. Uh, how's your How's your property and hunting going? Yeah, I'm on the lease down here in eastern Ohio. Uh, I didn't have a ton of luck the last couple of days, but things are starting to heat up. Uh, a couple of buddies on the lease with me had some really great encounters tonight, and uh, looks like Tomorrow is going to be a really good morning. It's supposed to get back down in the 30s, so uh, we're all pretty hopeful for the morning. That's great. That's great. I uh, I wish you guys the the best of luck uh, finishing out November here. We got a bunch of days left, so best time of the year. Absolutely. Now, Don, I know uh, you've been on the podcast before. For those who haven't heard, uh, Don's been on. It was episode 49. Um, which was July of 19. Seems like, you know, just the other day. But wow, time's flying. We, we talked about we talked about a bunch of good stuff on that one. Um, one of our probably favorite podcasts to date. And you know, but just in case people don't know who you are, or maybe got some new listeners who just tuned in, why don't you give us a quick uh, two minute rundown on who Don Higgins is? Well, I tell people all the time, I'm just a simple country boy that. God lit a passionate fire in my heart for big whitetails over 40 years ago. Um, I was 16 years old and shot my first deer, and, and my whole world changed. I just forgot about everything else. and um, 
you know, I've, I haven't been fishing in over 25 years. I've never turkey hunted a day in my life. It, for me, it's all about uh, white tails and especially big bucks. Um, I started riding uh, for North American Whitetail about 25 years ago, and I've had articles published in just about every major hunting magazine. Uh, I've written a couple of books. Um, got my own podcast called Chasing Giants. Um, I'm co-owner of Real World Wildlife Products, um, company that specializes in food plot seeds and um, nutritional products. I uh, got a new YouTube channel, even Chasing Giants with Higgins Outdoors on YouTube. Uh, basically, if it's got anything to do with big deer, I've got my hand in it somehow. <laughs> <laughs> You're you're not kidding there. Um, you've done everything from what raised whitetail. You've had what tree farm, I believe. I mean, you've been doing this stuff for a long time. Not even just what you mentioned there. Yeah, I had a uh, tree nursery where I specialized in habitat work. I uh, planted uh, millions, literally millions of trees all across the Midwest on different uh, habitat and conservation projects. Um. Yeah, I've just had my hand in just about everything that you can imagine involving habitat and hunting big deer. That's awesome. And I tell you, you're pretty good at it to boot. I mean, I uh, I shot you a text the other night congrats, congratulating you on your most recent kill. And, uh, you know, we got to chat and figured I'd invite you on again. And you said yes, that was great. Thank you so much. So I, I kind of want to hear just from the beginning of the season this year, maybe when you locked on to this buck you dubbed Mel, and kind of how that, how that, you know, went in terms of a transition to, you know, being in a tree stand as, as he's walking by. Like, when did you first see this deer, and, and maybe let's just tell the story on, on Mel. Well, believe it or not, I've been watching Mel since he was a year and a half old buck. In fact, um, some of the listeners might recall in 2017, I shot a buck called Smokey that scored 206. And uh, on one of the, there was about three different video versions of the Smokey hunt was uh, done by different groups. And on one of those, maybe more than one, but on at least one of them, there was a video clip of a year and a half old buck walking across the food plot. And, and that year and a half old buck had a 10 point rack, a real small 10 point rack. And that buck ended up being Mel. Um, I had no idea at the time that he would end up bigger than Smokey, but uh, but he did. So I've been watching him, you know, for four years. Uh, he was four and a half this year. But, you know, this season, um, I, I had my heart set on him. And he's the last two seasons, though, he's broken off uh, antler tines uh, once he gets into November. Um, so I was... I knew I needed to get him killed pretty quick or he was going to end up with busted tines. I didn't want that to happen. So, um, I mean, I was on top of him from, from the get-go. Three of the first four hunts, and I only hunt the evenings in early October, so three of the first four evenings I actually seen him from a stand, and uh, he was bedding in a field of real-world switchgrass. And he would only exit that field with the wind in his nose, and there was just really no way to get set up on him so i was kind of watching from a distance and i knew as october wound down and the rut heated up that i'd get my chance it was just i needed to get my chance before uh he busted that rack up so 
I kept plugging away, and I actually, the morning I shot him, October 30th, which was last Friday, was the sixth time that I'd seen him from a stand this season, in the first 30 days of the season. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a pretty eventful October for me. Yeah, you're not kidding. I mean, I was going to ask you how big he was last year and the year before since you had to have passed him, but he busted off his time, so does that that probably makes the decision pretty easy for a guy like you, right? Well, you know, actually, last year, the th- he was a three-year-old last year, and he, he's the biggest three-year-old I've ever seen by a long shot, and uh, I knew he was over 200 inches. And the very first hunt in 2019, I passed him at 25 yards, uh, he was actually feeding in a plot of real-world Deadly Dozen, and uh, he was feeding in that plot for at least 20 minutes. And I had a cameraman with me, and we each had a camera and each had our bows, and, and we just left the bows hanging, and, and we filmed him. And the reason, and he, his rack was not at all broke up at that point. In fact, it was fully intact, but I knew that buck was only three years old, and if I shot him, I was going to spend the rest of my life looking at that deer on the wall thinking, Man, he was only three years old. What would he have done with one more year? I, I just had to find out. There was no way I could shoot a three-year-old. And typically, I don't shoot four-year-olds, but this buck covered such a wide area that, you know, letting him go another year was just uh, too big of a chance to take. Um, he's the biggest buck I ever shot at 220 and 6 eighths inches. So uh, you just you just don't let the biggest buck of your life walk. Words of wisdom there, guys. I mean, you're not you're not kidding. That's uh, 226 stage, man. Um, well, first of all, congratulations. I know uh, I want to I want to hear the story a little bit more detailed here. But right before we get into that, let's talk about um, how big was he at at three? Well, believe it or not, at three years old, he was 216 inches. Holy cow! I found both of his sheds last spring, and even though he had busted off six times, I had enough uh, trail camera photos of him before he broke anything off that I could I could uh, measure the times that were left and kind of compare them to what was broken off. And I have no doubt he's within an inch or so of 216, or was within an inch of 216. And uh, that's going to be on the video that's being produced. You're going to see that footage when I pass him at 216 inches. Awesome. Wow. So, Don, when you started closing in on this buck, walk us through a little bit of uh, how big was his home range and what kind of habitat did he like to prefer? Well, he had a huge home range, and, and that's one of the reasons I elected to go ahead and shoot him this year. Is, you know, I know for a fact that he went two opposite directions off of my farm, two to three miles each way. And then he went a third direction that I know at minimum of a mile and a half. And in fact, last year, opening morning of, of gun season here in Illinois, that buck was a mile and a half off of my farm walking around in daylight at eight o'clock in the morning, opening day gun season. And, uh, when I got that picture, I'm like, there's no way that deer survived gun season. You know, he's a mile and a half away at 8 o'clock in the morning walking around in broad daylight. Yikes. He didn't, right. Nobody's passing that deer. He, he's dead. But somehow he survived. So uh, he, he he just covered a wide area, and, and he just moved. He didn't summer on my farm. He's totally different than Smokey. He grew up here and, and hardly ever left. This deer 
he covered a, a wide area, and but he he showed back up here probably about mid September after he shed velvet, and then he was uh, pretty much stayed on my farm. And I don't know if you've seen the uh, post I made this evening for my rut report on my Facebook page, but uh, I checked some cameras today and had a picture of him the, the night that the night before I shot him, about ten hours before I shot him, I got his picture. And he was over a mile away from where I shot him the next morning. Um, so he was wow. just starting to, to roam, you know, and I probably got him shot just in time because he was going to be covering a, a lot of area again. So when he was on your farm, what type of habitat did he prefer? Well, you know, he he the first three times that I seen him, he was bedded in that switchgrass. But um, it seemed like as October went by, he, he started spending more time in the brush. So um, I, I think it's just the security that was offered on my farm more than anything else. I had thick cover, um, diverse thick cover. I had both the grass and the, the thick wooded cover. Uh, but it was free of human intrusion, and he just felt safe there. And, and you know, it seemed like this year in September, last year in September, you know, I said I passed him on the first time of the year. Well, after that, he disappeared from my farm, and for about three weeks, he was gone. Didn't get a single picture or anything. Um, this year, he, he stuck around. You know, he, he was here, he was comfortable, and he didn't leave. And, and part of that might have been due to his status. Last year, uh, there was a six-and-a-half-year-old buck, which I ended up shooting in November, and that might have pushed him off um, or had some, you know, a, impact on his decision to leave last year but but this year he was pretty much top dog and he stuck around now don uh what are there is it what type of switchgrass is your real world switch or a combination what type of switchgrass yeah well it's a it's a specific variety that we selected for height and standability okay and then um when you said, I did watch your rut report today, and you said uh, Mel was a mile away. How did you know where to set up this morning based on a picture a mile away? And maybe that's not based on the picture, but that's pretty that's pretty cool stuff right there. Well, when I shot him last Friday morning, I had no idea where he was the night before. I just got that picture today. Okay, um, gotcha. Yeah. I just knew his... Uh, I basically know how to hunt my farm without putting pressure on it. And I knew he was staying there. And so I was just bouncing around from stand to stand, always being mindful of the wind and uh, where it was likely that he would be. And were you hunting in some sort of a rut funnel or transition or hunting uh, south of some, your, your bedding there? Or what was the setup uh, Friday for Mel? I was right on the edge of uh, thick bedding cover in a big oak tree, uh, the downwind edge. And uh, just like uh, you'll see it on the video um, when you see the hunt, but he, he's coming right down that downwind edge of the thick bedding cover and, and walks right into my lap, shot him at seven yards. Wow. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, incredible, yeah. And, and congratulations again. What a buck. Well, thank you. Thank you. I assume he was scent checking that bedding area, or was he 
hitting the acorns or both? Or I mean, we've seen a ton of acorns this year. I don't know about you, but. Well, actually, you know, he was like the probably the sixth or seventh buck I'd seen in the morning. And where I was set up at was an inside corner, and there's about four giant oak trees, four giant burr oak trees that were loaded with acorns. And and uh, these bucks were, you know, they were, well, there was actually a bunch of does, too. So the bucks were coming through, checking for does. I, I'd seen bucks making rubs and making scrapes and chasing each other, chasing does. And I think all the commotion and the deer running through the leaves and everything might have been what pulled him out of the brush. I know whenever uh, I first seen him, I had a buck right under me, and and I was filming this buck under me. Um, And the buck heard something, and he turns and and looks in the direction uh, that Mel came from. And about that time, I heard it too, so I shifted the camera. And uh, here comes Mel working that downwind edge of of the thicket. And he sees that buck right under my stand, and, you know, he pins his ears back and and uh, bristles up how they do and almost start walking sideways, and he runs that buck off, and then he comes and stands right where the buck had been standing, seven yards from the base of my tree. <laughs> oh, man. So, Don, you mentioned your rut report. What else are you seeing right now going on that, some of our listeners might be able to take advantage of. Well, I'm I'm just seeing these bucks that are uh, they're not really expanding their range. What they're doing is they're they're going to every nook and cranny of their range. I don't think that that bucks uh, really go into new areas. I think they stick with areas they're familiar with. Um. But they'll go to areas within their range where, where they're not, they don't typically spend a lot of time. And a photo I posted uh, this evening of Trump, you know, that was taken 10 hours, or not Trump, but Mel, 10 hours before I shot him. Um, that was the first picture I've got all fall of him in that woodlot. Now, I've got dozens and dozens of pictures of him there in the past, but he had not been there all fall until that, that night right before I shot him. So... I'm seeing the bucks that are they're covering more area, but they're within their home range. So that's extremely helpful. I'm hoping to maybe pick your brain a little bit more on, on November itself. Um, you know, I know you were successful right in the end of October there, but uh, I assume you still have one more buck tag left. Is that correct? Yes, I do. So... If if we were Don Higgins, where would we be? Um, let's let's break November up into three ten day sections, and and I kind of want to hear your your best stand location and or habitat setup for what would Don do type habitat slash hunt, and uh, maybe let's start out with n- the first ten days in November. Where are you going to be focusing your time on, and uh, are they all day sits or, or not? Well, the morning hunts. Uh, during the first 10 days of November, I'm going to be on the downwind edge of bedding cover and uh, just the thickest type of cover that that I can find that's undisturbed. Um, you know, here on it might be a hinge cut area. Um, it could be a switchgrass field, but it's going to be on the downwind edge. And bucks just love to run them downwind edges in the mornings uh, looking for hot does. Evening hunts will be closer to food sources. 
um, the does will be hitting those food sources before dark if they're not disturbed. And a lot of times you can get a buck to show up a little bit early or earlier than he typically would uh, as he's looking for hot does. Now, the, why, why do the bucks search the bedding areas in the morning more so? Is that just because that's where the concentration of deer usually are in the morning versus a food source in the evening? Yeah, the, the does are heading back to bed for the day, and uh, the bucks just uh, instinctively know where the does bed so they can run that downwind edge and they can scent check for hot does, do so very efficiently. They don't have to stomp every square inch of the cover. They just run that downwind edge, and their nose is going to tell them what they need to know. You know, that's that's 100% accurate. My cameras have shown me the same thing this November so far and, and late October. It seems the mornings are downwind edge of the swamp behind my place, and then, you know, the evenings are out on the food source. Um, okay, are there any certain uh, food sources you're going to focus on in the evenings of the first 10 days, or just whichever one's the hot source? Well, it depends on the property, you know. Um, on my own farm, I mean, they're hammering the soybeans and that, and typically they'd also be in the green plots, but we had such a bad drought this year, um, basically from September or, or, or from about mid-August all through the entire month of September until really about a week ago, we were just dry as can be, and my fall plots are the worst I've ever had. So there's not much green uh, in my plots for the deer, but they sure are hammering the soybeans at the moment. Okay, yeah, Um I don't know about you. I, I'm in the same boat. Um, my plots, the green that I do have, is uh, mowed down like a fairway. Um, just yep. we we didn't get the the rain either, and uh, and I was doing some you know some fancy no-till stuff, trying that stuff out. So I kind of had the one-two punch there. I got a bunch of bunch of green, but it's all it's all mowed down and and eaten up. Um, good good information there. So okay, well let's move to mid-November. What are you doing mid-November, you know, 10th through the 20th-ish for uh, your best stand on your farm or a farm nearby? Well, that mid-November period, most of the mature bucks that uh, I'd be targeting are hooked up with hot does, and um, they, they spend very little time between hot does. There's just so many does coming in heat that they don't have to spend much time searching, and it makes it really difficult to kill them when they're hooked up with a hot doe, so... In, in mid-November, a lot of times what I'm doing is hunting those out-of-the-way places that I don't find any other time of the year. Really? You know, maybe a fence row or a hedgerow out in the middle of nowhere, or a drainage ditch, or something like that where these mature bucks like to push hot does out. And it's one of those deals where it's feast or famine. You could sit out there for a week and not see a single deer, but you might see the biggest deer of your life, too. And I actually hate mid-November. It's one of my <laughs> least favorite times of the entire year because... Anything you do is 100% luck. You can't. Uh, it's got nothing to do with hunting skill. Wow! Wow! Have you uh, had success doing that though? Very, very little. Okay. Okay. I, I've killed very few really good bucks in mid-November. Interesting. No, hey, I, I like your honesty. That's what. That's what I want to hear. That's great. Um, yep. Good to know. Okay, so then let's let's push into into late November. You know, starting to get towards uh, maybe the second swing of things. Where are you at? You know, where's Don sitting the end of November? 
Well, I'm, I'm right back to what I was doing at the 1st of November. I'm hunting those bedding areas in the morning, downwind edge especially, and then the food sources in the afternoon. You know, uh, those last few days of November can be some of the best of the entire season. As those as hot does become harder to find, the bucks got to spend more time looking between hot does. Um, they know the game's about over for another year, and they get kind of desperate. There was a period a few years ago where for five consecutive seasons, the biggest buck I've seen from a tree stand I've seen during Thanksgiving weekend, which is at the very end of November. And it's just that, that time period, uh, you know, where them bucks are having to look a lot harder than they did a week or two before to find those hot does. And I don't know if you guys have, have heard the name Roger Rothar, but Roger Rothar is a oh, yeah. whitetail legend from Ohio. Um, For sure. I, I met him when I was about 18, 19 years old, and, and he was writing for a bow hunter magazine at the time. And he ended up writing, I don't know, three or four books on hunting trophy whitetails, but he, he told me from way, way back there, and I'm talking 40 years ago, he told me that November, uh, Thanksgiving weekend is the time to kill the true giants, and I've always remembered that and found that to be true. Wow. Yeah, I've got a, fr- I got a friend in Ohio that lives by that also, and I'm pretty sure that he learned that from Roger as well. Although, yep. Is there any no, time took- that you – no, go ahead. I was just going to say I think a lot of uh, deer hunters – give up just a little bit early on the rut you know mid-november comes around especially if the gun season opens up and and uh they haven't killed a deer by the time thanksgiving rolls around they're burned out and one of the reasons i don't get too fired up in uh morning hunting uh especially in, you know in late october um first couple of days in november is because i don't want to burn myself out i want to I want to pace myself so that when Thanksgiving weekend rolls around, I'm still getting up and going out in the mornings because that can just be a deadly time to kill the biggest buck in the woods. Are there any times that you key in on any transition areas or funnels, or are you still sticking with the bedding and, and feeding areas where the bucks would be cruising? Well, actually, my very favorite location for rut hunting is a funnel on the downwind edge of a bedding area. And uh, I've set my farm up and created those, and uh, I can think right off the top of my head about four different stand sites, five different stand sites that are set up on the downwind edge of the bedding cover, but they're also as a pinch point right there by that stand. So those bucks, when they run that downwind edge, they, they get pushed up by that stand whether they want to be or not. Yeah, that's a great idea stacking the odds in your favor using multiple layers. Yep, exactly. Now, Don, would you go on the downwind side of a larger bedding area where the funnel was not as pinched versus a bedding area maybe a tenth of the size, but the funnel is very pinched and obvious? Or what would you pick there? Well, that's a tough question without seeing the exact situation. Um, you know, bigger is usually better as long as it's not disturbed. Okay, yep. Human disturbance is, is the thing that kills more stand sites than anything. Um, yeah, it's just hard to say without seeing two different scenarios. 
Yeah, I'm definitely definitely throwing a curveball at you there. I'm thinking on on my property. I have a, a stand site up front that is south of a 10 acre automotive thicket, and the the pinch point is tight. I mean, it's really nice. Or I have kind of a wide open one where it's a, on the downwind side of probably a 300 acre swamp. Um, so they both are showing pictures. I'm just having trouble picking between the two. <laughs> Hoping you could direct me. Well, I can tell you that you, uh, a pinch point can be too tight for a mature buck. He doesn't want to be pinched down to, you know, a few feet or something. I mean, uh, these pinch points that I'm talking about, there's there's 30 yards across the area where he's coming through. Okay. And uh, when you pinch them down really tight, they just don't like to slip through there. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's a good point to consider. I had um... – it's probably what it is. It's probably, honestly, 30, 40 yards between a hinge-cut bedding area of mine and my neighbor's kind of overgrown field. And uh, mm-hmm. it's right up by the road, even. It's crazy. It's But they're coming through there a bunch. And I just – the swamp in the back's always calling my name, but the the pictures are also showing up front. So it's kind of that just pick the right wind and, and, you know, don't pressure, like you're saying. Get in there clean. Well, I just hung a stand the other day um, that's probably less than 20 yards from the road. <laughs> the deer walks down the middle of the road, he's in range, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like it. You just, you just got to get where you got to get because uh, a mature buck, he's going to use the wind as much as he can. Yeah. Nope. That's, that's a great point. Now, are there any other um, November tips or strategies you want to recommend for um, for our listeners regarding what types of habitat to focus on or stand position for for this month? We're, we're kind of uh, we're kind of stealing your rut report, if you will, and kind of doing a habitat version. And I think it's pretty beneficial, you know, for anybody in the Midwest. You're one of the guys we want to talk to about hunt November. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the big thing is is um, security. It just needs to be secure, free of human intrusion. Okay. It's. I mean, I, I've seen some great properties that were, you know, wide open timber, but there was no human intrusion there. And uh, then I've seen others that were just beautiful habitat, you know, thick uh, second growth, and uh, but but there was so much pressure that, that that's the number one thing is. You know, you can have the best habitat in the world, but if you got too much human pressure, then it's worthless. And on the other hand, just think of all the places like state parks or, you know, places where hunting is not allowed, but the, they're just overrun with deer. It's, it's all about the human pressure. It's not necessarily the habitat. I think we get too wrapped up in the habitat sometimes, and we fail to recognize the importance of freedom of human intrusion. Yeah, I think uh, that's. I think that's number one. Um, we we cover that with uh, we cover that a decent amount on the show, as, as you know, and and you guys do too. And it's. I mean, I don't walk in my plots. I don't walk off the access trails unless it's to a tree stand. You know, from probably pro- the, the whole deer season, unless I'm tracking a deer. I mean, are, are you the same way, or you know, you don't go strolling willy nilly through your stuff? No, absolutely not, and. You know, it starts basically uh, when things green up in the spring. I may be in there in the winter doing some habitat projects, but even those, you know, I don't go in. If I can do a project in one day, I don't drag it out for two. 
it's like I picked the day when I got the time to do it and I feel like doing it, and I go get it done and get out and stay out. Same way with shed antler hunting. I don't go in and and look for antlers three times. I go. I wait till most of the antlers are on the ground. I go through once, and I take help with me so that you got more eyes to help me find them all. And uh, the less you can be in the sanctuary, the better off you're going to be. Awesome. Awesome. Don, well, uh, that's about what I had on, on this chat here and, and picking your brain in November and, and hearing the story of Mel. Um, where can we watch this video coming up, and, and how can we hear about your podcast more? Let's make sure we get that in there for you. Okay. Well, my new YouTube channel, which we just started this past summer, um, you can just go to YouTube and look for Chasing Giants with Higgins Outdoors. Um, the podcast can be found. It's also called Chasing Giants. It can be found on any of the major podcast platforms. Um, we're also putting it on the YouTube channel, so if you find that channel, you can catch the podcast there, too, if you prefer to listen to it that way. Um now, one other thing I'd like to throw out, if it's okay, is, is about my Whitetail Master Course. Be all right if I mention that? or Absolutely. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead. Yep, sorry. Okay. I, I didn't want to step on any toes or anything if, I, if you didn't want no, me to no, talk about fine. it. Oh, no, sorry. You're good. Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, I started two years ago uh, holding a Whitetail Master Course on my home farm where basically we go right to the very stands um, where I've killed some of my bigger bucks. Um, actually, my three 200-inchers where we go and see where all three of those were killed. Um, two different farms, actually, but two of them were killed on my home farm and the other one about five miles away. But we walked two different properties and look at the stand sites on those properties. I explain why the stands are there, how I use the wind, how the bucks use the wind, why they're successful. Um, if anybody's interested in that, they can go to my website, which is HigginsOutdoors.com, and uh, learn more about that Whitetail Master Course. No, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think um, Brian and I were supposed to follow up with you on that and go in 2020. So now that uh, yep. now that COVID is kind of taking over, maybe 2021 would be a great time for us to come down and, and take that course with you. That'd be, that'd be awesome. I'd love to do that. Yeah, um, I just uh, updated my website here in the last few days. It's got the dates for 2021 um, on there, so uh, a lot of a lot of interest. I've had to had to add another class this year. I'd been doing two each spring, but added a third one for 2021. That's great, Don. I um, I hope you you book that one up too, and. Um I just want to say congratulations again on, on Mel, your third 200-inch deer, and, man, what a buck. Congratulations. Well, thank you, and I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, great buck, Don. Congrats again. Thank you. All right, Don, well, uh, get well soon, and, uh, you know, don't stay out of the woods too long. I know you'll be back after it here real soon. I'm hoping tomorrow, but we'll see how I feel when I wake up. All right, Don. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Good luck, guys. Thanks, Don. Uh Bye. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review 
on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.